This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning, good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning. I want to apologize on the front end. As you can hear, we had a lock-in with our middle school and high schoolers on Friday, and my voice, unfortunately, did not survive the night very well. So we're going to work through it. Um, Sometimes I might sound more like a squealing duck than a preacher, so bear with me. Um, I do believe that God has a great word for us this morning. so today we're continuing, oh goodness, continuing, apparently, apparently the middle school voice crack is contagious, um, but this morning we're continuing in our series Paparazzi, um, and we're going through the book of James, and we're looking at what James has to say about how our faith impacts our lives and how we live it out. Um, the subtitle of this series is, is just living out your faith in a world where everyone is watching. And because of of what we've seen so far, James is writing to help us see what our faith applied looks like and what our faith in action looks like. So before I jump into our passage today, um, I want to talk a little bit about judges. Um, uh, When we think of a judge in our context today, we probably think of somebody like this that wears a fancy black gown, a man or woman who sits on a a court or a bench in the court um, and tells people if they've broken the law or not. However, I think there's a lot of judges that we have in our lives, whether it's somebody wearing a black and white striped uh, uniform on the field saying what is right and wrong in our sports, or, or maybe the judge that we drive past and tells us if we're driving too fast or not. I'm sure some of us worry about that a little bit more than others. Um, but the term judge simply just means somebody who is deciding what is right or wrong, or what is the best idea. Um, And we have a lot of judges in our life. Um, And for some of us, the most prevalent judge might be some of those other things that that isn't the formal judge that we see in a courtroom. But in all of our lives, um, we have people or figures that act as judges. Um, And they help determine what is right and wrong, what might be best for us to do. Um, The main role of a judge, when we look at it, we've simplified it down to its main role of a judge is to bring justice, um, to be somebody who brings justice. And, and we wanna, I want to look at this, this term of justice just for a moment before we jump into James. Um, if we were to define the term justice, we might define it as um, two different things. It, it, throughout Scripture in the Bible, we see two main ways that justice is used. Um, one is, is more of a retributive justice, which would be if I steal something, I'm going to go to jail for my actions. Um, and there's another form of justice that we see throughout Scripture, and it's restorative justice, uh, justice that restores. And, and that would be seeking out vulnerable people who have been burdened with inequality and helping them and uplifting them. So as we unpack what James is saying today, we're going to be looking at how, as followers of Jesus, as followers of what Jesus has instructed us to do, we can partner in the kingdom of God to bring justice into situations of injustice and mistreatment. So we'll come back to the topic of justice in just a moment, um, but I want to go ahead and jump into the passage we'll be looking at from James 2 today. So um, if you enjoy following along, we'll be in James 2 um, verses 1 through 13. So you can open your Bibles there if you would like. Um, we also 
have a section for you to take notes on our app. Um, but let me just go ahead and jump in. James 2 verse 1 says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can you claim to be someone living into the teachings of Jesus, but then turn around and put some people or people groups um, down or, or see them as less than? Um, James is guiding us to this idea that just as we have received mercy, just as we have received righteousness, we can give mercy and righteousness to those in need. Just as we have received, we can then give. Um, and James goes on to support his idea with, with an example. He goes on and says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothing and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there, stand to the side, or even just sit on the floor. What he says, James says, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And James takes his example of somebody being mistreated poorly because of their economic status um, and their outer appearance and how they presented themselves to this group that they've entered into. And, and the issue here um, is that when we step away from God's desire, when we treat someone poorly because of their appearance, their race, or their beliefs, or economic status, we're stepping outside of God's desire for how we are to interact with each other, how we are to treat and love one another. And James wants us to see from this example that, that what is meant to be is what was intended for in the garden. When, when Adam and Eve was created by God and was living in a community that saw each other as, as one system, as one loving body. And obviously that's been twisted over the years and the centuries of, of people fighting and war and, and hatred and all of these things that we've seen play out in our human experience. But what James is saying is, at the core of what we are trying to get back to is, is loving one another as it was attended, intended in the garden. And when, when we submit to God, we see that there's equality in the kingdom of God. There's, there's a sense of we're all in this together. There's a sense of me and you alike. No matter our differences, no matter our disagreements, we were created in the same image. We were created to, in the same purpose of living into this world as followers of Jesus and, and being people who are radically loving one another. And I believe there's so much power when we choose to look past stigmas and we choose to look past assumptions and just focus on the humanity of one another and focus on the, the things that we can relate on, the things that are the same within all of us. And I think of a time in my life, uh, I, was, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was walking around downtown after I went to a, a UofL basketball game. And I was walking through downtown, and as a lot of times when you're in a downtown area, there's homeless population. And I was walking along, and, and a man came up to me, and, and he was just looking for a few bucks or some help or something. So I stopped and started talking to him, and I... I Probably, I was a college student, so I probably didn't have much money, but I gave him a few bucks. And, um, but what really impacted me from that situation, we, we started talking, and this man, I don't remember his name, I don't remember much about him, 
Um, but we started talking, and he, he was telling me a little bit about his story and how he ended up where he was and all the pain that he's experienced. I, I believe there was, a, there was a death in his family not, not, too, not so recently, or not too recently, at the time. And he, he was just unloading all of these things onto me, and I, all I had done was just stopped and, and talked to him for, I mean, I probably talked to him for a few minutes. And, and as he's telling me his story, um, I, I just, my heart broke for this man just because I could see the pain that he was going through. And I just offered him a hug, and I was like, hey, man, like, bring it in. And then he, he gives me the hug that I offered him, and it wasn't one of those, oh, I haven't seen you in a while hugs. It was, I have no idea what to do. Everything is falling apart. And he, he embraced me, and, and before I knew it, on this cold winter night, I'm in downtown Louisville with some random man, and he's weeping into my shoulder. And, and I, in that moment, thought to myself, I said, I wonder, I wonder when the last time somebody gave this guy a hug was. I wonder when the last time that somebody took enough time to stop and listen to this guy, that, to stop and, and see his humanity. And, and that's not me bragging on myself at all, because all I did was I just stopped and, and talked to him. But the man was impacted because someone saw his humanity and, and was willing to, to listen and create space for connection. Um, and, and I got the sense um, in that moment that there, there was things happening for the first time in a long time for that man where somebody was willing to see him, willing to reach out to him. And in that man's life, I assume he faced a lot of people who passed by, um, as, as a lot of times, we, it's just easy to pass by someone where like, oh, they're just asking for money, or they're just doing X, Y, or Z. And, and what I see is that, that we often um, do this with marginalized groups, and we determine what someone is worth, or, or what they deserve, or where, why they are where they are, because of something we assume about them. And, and that just reminds me that we don't, we don't deserve the right to make assumptions about other people. We don't deserve the right to, to go against what James is saying here, of, of James is saying that the kingdom of God steps into situations and, and sees one another as equally beautiful in the image of God. So let me go on with what James is saying here in, in chapter 2. He says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppresses you and drags you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose name, whose no, noble name you bear? And James, after witnessing Jesus interact, being the half-brother of Jesus, James interacted and, and watched Jesus' ministry, many of it. Um, and he watched Jesus live among the outcasts. He watched Jesus heal the sick. He watched Jesus uh, surround himself with the poor, the marginalized. He watched Jesus heal the leper who nobody would go within arm's distance of. And I, I see... James coming out of that with the conclusion that as followers of Jesus, as we have to step outside of an ordering system that, that our friends, our communities, or our countries um, have in place that are attempting to value someone or one another over someone else due to something they possess or a way they exist or the situation they've been put in by no doing of their own. And James even takes it a step further here. He says, hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Hasn't God chosen the marginalized? 
Hasn't God chosen the abused, the forgotten, the looked over, to be the ones that are rich in faith and close to the heart of God? And we can go back just a few verses to the end of chapter 1 of James, and he says that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God means caring for orphans, caring for widows in their distress. He mentioned these two groups because they're individuals that are going through hardships because of reasons out of their control. And you could read this verse as saying true religion walks with the marginalized, the people who are are pushed out to the edges, the people who are forgotten and left behind. And the word marginalized just refers to a person who is seen and treated as insignificant or peripheral. And James uses this example um, of the rich and poor because that was the biggest social issue that they were facing at the time, especially in the church. Um, there, were, there were very wealthy people, and there were people that didn't have a ton of, of monetary wealth. Um, and I would say that this is still an issue we face today, as, as some people will look at someone in a certain light because of their economic value or lack thereof. Um, and I also think that we as a society today as we've seen, face other areas where people look down upon someone based on things like the color of their skin, who they vote for, um, what they have to say on social media about a hot topic. And, and there's these things, along with the rich and poor analogy that James is using, um, that where, where we're stepping into situations and, and dividing ourselves um, over, over our differences, um, instead of stepping in and, and connecting over our unique, beautiful, identities that are rooted in the image of God. And I can't help but, but to come back to James's words. When someone is treated unfairly, he says, doesn't your discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And then he goes on to say, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. And, and I think the church as a whole in America um, ha- has to come together. We must come together and commit ourselves to be people who stand in the way of injustice, being forces that carry the love of Jesus into all of our conversations, all of our thoughts, and all of our interactions with people who are different than us. And, and I believe as we strive to follow Jesus, we will find ourselves striving uh, to vo- give a voice to the voiceless, which is funny that I'm preaching this sermon as I, as I lost my voice, um, and, and give justice to the oppressed and, and walking next to those who feel like they've been forgotten. And, and it's actually funny, I was walking through Walmart yesterday um, to get some cough drops and, and some uh, tea and stuff, and I was walking around and, and I, for a moment I, I just was like kind of scared. I was like, I, I can't speak right now, and if someone tries to speak to me, I'm going to look silly. And, and in that moment, I thought of how in all situations where, where someone feels like they don't have a voice, that's all they can think about. Um, however, all these people were walking past me. I had no idea that my voice was even gone at all. And, and in the same way, I think that in our country, whether it's with our, our black brothers and sisters or, or women in the church and women in our country, people who for so long have felt like they haven't had a voice, that's all they can think about. And when you don't, when you don't personally experience that, um, it can be easy to not even notice. Um, and as I was walking through Walmart, I was like, nobody notices that I don't have a voice. But it was all I was thinking about. And I think that carries over into situations in our lives where, where people who are feeling like they don't have a voice, um, it's all they can think about. But for someone who isn't experiencing that at the moment, 
it's so easy to just pass by. And I, I challenge us today to, to be someone who doesn't pass by those who feel like they don't have a voice. And, and we're in a moment in time um, in our world where we, we can stand firm in the heart of Jesus. Um, and out of a place of compassion and desire for justice, understand and proclaim that racism and sexism and any other way of think, put, thinking that puts one people group or person above another has no places in our churches and has no places in our communities. And, and I want to touch back um, to the idea of justice that I was talking about earlier. And justice is a topic that we find all throughout Scripture, and it seems to be a core theme throughout the story that God has been writing throughout history, right? And all throughout history, we see instances of people and people groups redefining good and evil to their own advantage at the expense of others so that a group may be made weak or taken advantage of um, by an oppressor. And we see this pattern happening in the Old Testament through instances of systems that took advantage of vulnerable people um, in a society. And we see James addressing that same issue in the New Testament. And as we're living into our world today, we see the same issue happening. And we see systems that tend to overlook the vulnerable in the marginalized communities. And we see in the Old Testament, God calls Abraham. In a world where there were systems that were, that were taking advantage of the, of the marginalized, God calls Abraham and his family to live into a deeper purpose. God calls Abraham and his family um, in Genesis 18:19, he says, "For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him." And as the Abrahamic line was was called to live out righteousness and justice in their lives, we see God speaking to Israel as a whole through passages such as Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, that says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And we see the prophets of Israel convey God's heart through passages like Jeremiah 22, 3, that says, This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence against the immigrant, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. And again, in Psalms 146, we're reminded of a similar thing that says, God remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited. Giving food to the hungry, the Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. And all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New, we see God caring so much about bringing justice into moments where oppression is dehumanizing God's children. And that's what we're seeing James bring up in this passage this morning. And he's essentially just saying that all people are created in the image of God. And it's a simple thought but it has radical implications on how we live and treat one another. And this ought to go without saying, but James is, is saying this obvious thought that needed to be said, and I believe it still needs to be said in our modern context, that no matter the color of someone's skin, how much they do or don't have in the bank, what career they're in, what, what car they drive, what side of the political spectrum they sit on or, or mistakes they've made in the past, albeit besides all of that, they deserve to be treated justly and with a loving compassion. And when I think of where James's mind is at when he writes this, 
I imagine his mind flashing back to moments of watching Jesus have conversations with Bartimaeus, a blind beggar who everybody passed by, and, and listening to him and healing him. And I imagine James thinking back to watching Jesus and hearing about Jesus welcome in the presence of lepers who were cast out by society and healing their bodies. And I imagine James was willing, or sorry, I remember James remembering the times where Jesus was willing to invite no good tax collectors and, and castaways into his closest circle to be his disciples, or, or when Jesus paid attention to and cared for the Samaritan woman who was uh, racially and, and uh, nationality-wise uh, an outcast in that society. Uh, and Jesus saw her and spoke to her and cared for her. And, and you see all throughout Jesus' ministry that James would be flashing back on as he writes this, where Jesus is creating moments where he's seeking justice and healing and restoration for those who have been thrown to the curb by, by the system they were living in. And I think that as we do our best to follow Jesus' example, James is trying to help us understand that the gospel cultivates unity. Because when we are all broken, when we all fall short, when we come to the good news of what Jesus has done for us, we have no choice but to partner in Jesus' ministry of reconciliation. We have no choice but to come to the Lord and hear the good news and, and join in on bringing people from all walks of life, all communities, all backgrounds to the feet of Jesus and rejoicing in what he has done for us. Because what he has done for us, he has done for the person that we disagree with. What he has done for us, he has done for those who we think are not good enough. And Jesus deeply desired to restore the spirit of all the people he interacted with on earth. He, he went into situations and, and poured into people's spirit. But at the same time, he also was highly invested in people's physical issues. He would heal their body. He would provide um, a community for them. He would do things that would be providing for their physical needs, um, whether it be for the homeless or the hungry or the disenfranchised. And, and in the same breath, I see a call for the church. A call for us to be, to be peacemakers as we serve and live with the least of these. Excuse me. As we serve and live for the least of these. Not out of pity, but out of a burning desire for justice to be served. Out of a burning desire for those who have been taken advantage of um, and, and counted out by the system to be lifted up, to be restored, to be reconciled with. And we have to understand that we all need this restoration that comes from God's spirit just as much as the next person. And that's where we find this unity. And the whole point behind what James is saying for us here is that in our shared humanity, we find compassion for others. In our shared humanity, all the things that make us unique, but also all of the things that make us together and, and sharing in this humanity. And when we're able to see that God's creation and love stretches far beyond our little bubbles um, in just our own lives, we're able to see that every human is our brother and sister of, of God's creation. And we uncover these mysteries and joys of life as we step into situations and love onto those who might be deemed unlovable. And when we begin to see this, the problems and needs of others become our passion. Because when we embody the teaching of, of love your neighbor as yourself, 
When we see someone being taken advantage of or treated unfairly, we're able to step up and advocate for that person as if their worries and their issues were our worries and our issues. And in our, in our shared humanness, we're able to let walls fall down and welcome all people to the table and, and see that the gospel counts out nobody. It invites every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And, and everybody through Jesus is restored to the Father if we just come to him. And we see James tapping into this vision of the future in paradise with God when people of every color, nationality, economic level, every background come together as a family in the kingdom of God. And we're invited to allow that vision to seep into our realities today. And we're invited to allow that to become part of how we walk with Jesus. And James wraps up this passage with a stern reminder for us. He says, in James 2, 12 through 13, he says, So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So he says we will be judged by the law that sets you free. And if you can remember back just a couple weeks ago, um, I talked a little bit about James using this idea of the perfect law. And essentially it just portrays Jesus as the perfect law, the embodiment of God's law. Um, and it is this law of Jesus that we are, in this law of Jesus, we are set free. And this warning that James gives us here is an awakening one, right? He says those who have not shown mercy will not have mercy shown to them. And what he's getting at here is that when we receive freedom in Jesus, it overflows, excuse me, it overflows into the ways that we treat others. We extend mercy and grace to those around us because um, we have been given the same from our loving God. And we have the ability to speak into darkness, to power or the power to give a voice to the voiceless, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, and advocate for those who might be taken advantage of. And as I close, um, I want to land on a verse that many of us have thrown around, and, and band, you can come. And it's a verse that many of us know, and it just says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved the people who got everything right. It doesn't say for God so loved, or sorry, it not, doesn't say God so loved the people who got everything right. Not for God so loved those who have the most money. It doesn't say for God so loved those who earned a lot while they're on earth. It doesn't say for God so loved America. It doesn't say, for God so loved whoever is strongest. It says, for God so loved the world. He loved all of us. And meaning everyone that we have, are, and will ever encounter is so loved by God that he was willing to send his son for them. And as we live out of that place, as we live out of that understanding that everybody has a beautiful and, and uh no price you can put on it, value from God. We see that we're challenged as believers to step into the lives of those around us, those who are like us and those who are unlike us and different, and show them that no matter our mistakes, no matter our backgrounds, no matter any of the things that we build up on earth, 
in our shared humanity, we find a need for God. We find a need for Jesus that extends far beyond any political argument, that extends far beyond any difference of income, that extends far beyond any difference we might face in this world. And, and as we step into that, we see a beautiful picture of unity in Christ. So this morning, I leave you with the words of the prophet Micah. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Um, I just pray that uh, as we continue to fall more in love with you and as we continue to grow in your spirit and your word, I just pray that you would show us ways that we can show compassion to those around us, that we can be a force of good in our world, God. Uh, I pray that you would help us love one another um, and leave our disagreements behind, Lord, um, and just come to the feet of Jesus in unity. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.